Thanks, James. Good morning. My name's Matt King. I'm one of the community pastors here at East Point Church, and we're glad that you chose church this morning or you chose to watch us on live streaming. It really is. It's, it's good. There's a lot of great churches around the area. Obviously, I'm particular to East Point Church. I'm just glad that you guys chose church today, and I'm glad that you chose East Point. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, why don't you open that up to the book of John. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and go to chapter 21 and hold your place there. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and get up and pass the buckets around. Yes, they're buckets. We literally pass buckets every week. If you're new with us or relatively new and you're like, what's, what's up with that? Uh, that's, that's how East Point is financially supported. Those who call East Point Church their church, their home church, they give financially every week, and, and that's how the ministry here gets done. And so thank you for those who are giving, but if you're new with us, please don't feel obligated to give in any way. In fact, let that bucket just pass right on by and know that what we're trying to do is give you something good today. We're trying to give you a gift. Today, I am wrapping up our three-part sermon series on three questions that Jesus asked. And the question that I am speaking on or addressing today was one that he asked of the disciple Peter, not once, but three times. The question was, do you love me? Now, if you stop and think about that, that might just be the worst question that Jesus could ever ask you. See, the reason for that is, is the number one command, not just throughout the New Testament, but from the Old Testament, the number one command has always been to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So to have Jesus ask Peter this question, do you love me? Well, it meant that obviously something was wrong. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, or maybe you've forgotten some of the details of it, I'm going to go through that with you real fast. It's about 33 AD, and Jesus and some of the disciples are out night fishing, partly because they're bored, and partly because they really are still afraid to be seen out in public. You see, for the better part of three years, these guys followed Jesus everywhere. They went every place with him, staying with him, and learning from him continuously, all the time. But a few weeks prior to this, Jesus was killed. He was arrested, he was tortured, brutalized, and then he was killed. And now, yes, they know that he's risen from the dead, but it's like Jesus shows up and then he disappears. Then he shows up again and he disappears. These guys, are they just don't know what's going on. They've kind of lost their way in terms of the plan, and they certainly don't know what their purpose is in it. And so they're fishing at night. Well, there's this guy, and he's on the shore, and he yells out to him, How's the fishing going? I'm a fisherman. When the fishing's not going well, I hate that question. The only thing I hate more than that is when somebody starts giving me advice on what it is that I should be doing to catch fish. And that's exactly what this guy does. He's like, hey, you guys should throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And we're not told whether or not they were like, fine, and you know, begrudgingly did it. But they did do it, and that's when they realized that it was Jesus that was on the shore because suddenly they have the biggest catch they have ever had in all of their life. And Peter, who's in the boat, 
jumps in. He dives in and starts swimming to shore. And the other guys are hauling in the nets and working the boat to shore. And they get there, and Jesus has this big old fire. He's got breakfast cooked for him, some fish and some, some bread. And they were told that's when the question happens. If you have your Bible open there to John 21, look at verse 15 and read verses 15 through 17 with me. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says this, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Why would Jesus ask Peter this question? Why would Jesus ask anyone, maybe you or me, this question? I want to quickly give some reasons why Jesus may have asked this question of Peter or maybe of us. But before I do that, there's something you need to know about the disciples. I grew up in the church, and so when I was a kid, and even into my teens, I kind of really had this, this image of the disciples as a group as being awesome. You know, you know, when you grow up, you have groups that you consider awesome. For me, it was the super friends. Maybe for you, it was like Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers or the Avengers. I don't know what it is, but... These guys, the disciples, they're not exactly a crackerjack group of fellas. In fact, they're idiots. The Bible's very clear about that. In fact, that they are a bunch of prima donnas. They are selfish and they are constantly trying to either outdo one another or they're constantly trying to measure whether or not who's the most awesome amongst them. Kid you not. In fact, one of the stories is uh, of Jesus and the disciples and they're walking to Capernaum. And when they get there, Jesus says to them, so uh, what were you guys talking about on the road back there? And it says that they were literally embarrassed to answer him because they were arguing about who was the greatest amongst them. It's the truth. So knowing that about them, you need to know that Peter was maybe one of the most arrogant, maybe one of the most selfish amongst them. I'm not sure of the reason why he was this arrogant. Maybe it had something to do with the whole walking on water thing. But he certainly thought of himself as a big deal. And an example of this was when prior to Jesus being killed, he actually is trying to be as clear with them about what's going to happen. He's telling them, guys, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to get arrested. And then they're going to, they're going to torture me. And then they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. But then I'm going to raise from the dead and everything's going to be okay. And he's trying to let them know this, that they would understand the plan. This is when Peter decided to have a little come to Peter meeting with Jesus. And he takes him aside. And I'm going to read to you here in Matthew chapter 16, verses 22, uh, 22 through 24, what took place. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Quote, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus 
turned to Peter and said, embrace yourself, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and time out real quick, have you ever been in a situation where you got in trouble or you watched somebody else get in trouble and it was either mom or dad or the boss? Instead of using the bullet approach, which is to just nail that one person with what they did wrong, they shotgun it and get everybody in the mix like they got to teach everybody all at the same time. That's what Jesus does here. So he turns to all of his disciples and shotgun approaches them and says, if any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you, wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. He says to him. So here's reason number one why Jesus might ask you, do you love me? Have you ever reprimanded God because you didn't agree with or understand his plan? Yes no secret, in fact. If you've been around here for a while, you know part of my story. There was a time where I shook my fist at the face of God saying, why won't you let me have kids? You let some of the most wicked people on the face of the earth have children, but you won't let me have kids? Bad plan. Stupid plan. How many of you said, God, why did you Why did you let my family member die of cancer? Why did you let my family member get this terrible, horrific disease called Alzheimer's? They don't even know me anymore. I mean, you can fill in the blank with whatever it is, but have you ever done that? Have you ever been guilty of telling God how dumb his plans are comparatively to how wise your plans are? If so, that might be a reason why Jesus might ask you, do you love me? The night that Jesus spoke up to the disciples that he was warning them about finally came. And they're hanging out in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane, which is actually a grove of olive trees. And Jesus says to the disciples, hey, will you guys, will you wait here? Will you keep a watch out? Because the people who are coming to arrest me are going to be here soon. I'm going to go over here and pray. And he even tells them, guys, I am heart sick. I am afraid of what is about to happen. And he he takes off and he goes to pray. And when he comes back, you know what he finds? Let me read to you. Matthew 26, 40 and 41. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? And guess what? This didn't happen just once. This happened three times. Three times. So here's reason number two why Jesus might ask, Do you love me? Have you ever been so absorbed with your own concerns that you are oblivious to the sufferings of others around you? Yeah. I hate to admit it, but I know this is true. I know that I've done this. I probably still do. If I've done that to you obliviously, I'm sorry. Back to the garden. As these disciples are yawning from their nap, the posse arrives. And things go from calm to frenetic in a hurry. We're told that as somebody reached for Jesus to arrest him, that Peter pulls out this sword and takes a swipe at a guy. I don't know if he ducked or what, but he 
he takes and slices this guy's ear clean off, prompting Jesus to quickly scold Peter for not sticking with the plan. And then he reaches down and supernaturally puts this guy's ear back on. I'm not sure if it sounded like that or what, but it's amazing. Which leads me to reason number three why Jesus might ask you, do you love me? Have you ever lashed out and wounded someone causing God to have to supernaturally heal him? One of the biggest regrets that I have in life is the damage that I have done, not with my fists, but with my words. Did you know that the Bible says that the tongue is wicked, filled with fire, poison? It's like an untamed beast. The things that have come out of my mouth that have hurt people and destroyed people, the stories that I know where I'm the principal character who was the offender, the wounder. Those things can haunt you. I know I'm not the only one who's done that. I mentioned that Jesus and the disciples were in this garden of Gethsemane when all of this went down, but when they were on their way there, Jesus was trying to tell these guys about what all was going to happen again and what was going to take place. He wanted them to know that it was going to be okay. That in spite of everything that was about to happen in front of them, that it was still going to be okay. And one of the things that he tells them, and I want to get this right, so I'm going to read it specifically, is this. Quote, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. You know what Peter's response was? Quote, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Can you see it? That pompous, arrogant attitude. I mean, it's like he's not even paying attention that Jesus just said that this is a prophecy. This is in the Bible. It's been proclaimed by God that this is going to happen. No, no, not me. Other guys, they're losers. Not me. I will never. That's the moment when Jesus informs Peter, dude, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to be accused of being my follower three times, and you're going to lie through your teeth, your teeth every single time. That's exactly what happened. Which leads me to reason number four. Why Jesus might ask you, do you love me? Have you ever lied or stayed silent about your relationship with God out of fear? Maybe with friends, classmates, family, coworkers, strangers, neighbors. Have you ever intentionally just kind of kept that part quiet, the whole relationship with God part? I was talking with a guy the other day, and he was saying, you know, it's a struggle Facebook is sometimes whether or not I should share something that came from church or like something that's about Jesus because it would let everybody know that, you know, I'm a Jesus wannabe or a sympathizer. Are you afraid of that? Are you afraid to stand up for Jesus and let people know that you're in a relationship with him? 
These are just four reasons that I've mentioned. There's probably a lot of other reasons why Jesus might ask that question, not only of Peter, but of us. But I promise you that the core root problem of all of the reasons, at least with me, is selfishness, self-thinking, being really more concerned about me than any other thing, not God, not others. And just like the disciples, I think that most of us are selfish. I know I've reprimanded God. I know I've told him dozens, if not thousands of times, how dumb his plans are comparatively to mine. I know that I have been oblivious to the sufferings of others because I've been self-absorbed. And I know that I have wounded others. And I know that I have disassociated myself from God. And I know that the reason behind every single one of these instances in my life has been because of my selfishness. And if you're like me, then you need to hear something. In fact, you really need to hear this if you've heard nothing else. In fact, this is the big idea for, the, uh, for today. And I'm going to ask you to personalize this as I am personalizing it. Even if Jesus questions my love, he is not disgusted with me. Or written me off as a traitor. Jesus will always pursue me. He will. He will always pursue me. He'll do that with you. Some of you might be thinking, man, you don't know what I've done. Well, if you're thinking that, then you may not know what the Bible says. In fact, what it says is that regardless of who we are or what it is that we have done, that there is one way to be made right with God the Father, and that's by trusting that Jesus Christ is the one who is the forgiver of our sins. And only through his righteous act of dying on the cross as an innocent man can we be saved. That being the case, there is no one, there is no one that he won't pursue. He will do for you exactly what he did for Peter and the rest of the disciples and just like he has done with me. And here's what he will do. He will supernaturally get your attention. He will, just like he did with the guys in the boat, the big catch of fish. And then you know what he'll do? He will let you know that he is for you, not against you. Just like he did with those disciples by preparing them a great big old fire and making them breakfast. But then he will ask you that question and he will confront you. Do you love me? And then what will you say? Will it be like, Peter, you, you, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Well, if that is your response, that is your answer, then we all need to pay very close attention to what Jesus continually said. If you love me, if you love me, then you must take care of my sheep. You must take care of my lambs. You must feed them. Our responsibility as people who think or know or believe or have a relationship with Jesus, it is our responsibility, ours, to make sure that those that Jesus loves are nurtured and nourished in their faith, that they're given the opportunity to be able to be introduced to him through us. And we know who Jesus loves. It's contained in the most quoted verse of the entire Bible. For God so loved the what? The world. That means our world, all around us. 
In your world and in my world, there are people all around us. It doesn't matter whether or not it's in church or whether it's at school or whether it's at work or it's in our neighborhoods. There are people who desperately need to know that Jesus loves them. And the way that he wants them to know that is by the way that we treat them or the way that we care for them. And if that's not something that's on our mind, then we are selfish rather than others-ish, which is the thing that Jesus was, others-ish, which is why he kept saying to them, guys, if you really want to be my follower, you have to turn from your selfish ways. Pick up your cross, die to yourself, and then do as I do. Think like I think. Act like I act. And the power to be able to do so is through the Holy Spirit, period, end of story. It's not by your memorization. It's not by your practice. It's not by all of those other disciplines. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit changing you, like what James said earlier, from the inside so that the outside looks different to everyone. And the only thing that stops that, the thing that gets in the way from that happening, is just selfishness. Silly, silly selfishness. So, what should we do? Thing is, is I'm going to ask you to pray. And the reason for that is, is honestly, there's no way that me or any other pastor could stand up on a platform and come up with all the right illustrations or all the right explanations to be able to say to you specifically exactly what it is that God would want you to do to make sure that those who are around you know that you care. You're going to have to ask him, and I promise you, if you do, he'll tell you. He'll let you know exactly how he wants you to go about feeding sheep, taking care of lambs, and making sure that everybody around you knows that you care for them. Before we do that, I think it would be highly appropriate that we actually tell Jesus that we love him. Let me pray for you. Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you have pursued me and that you'll never stop. You know I'm selfish, but what I want you to know is how much I love you. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for never giving up on any of us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for supernaturally letting all of us know that you're for real and that you care for us and that you're for us, you're not against us. Thank you for not writing any of us off as traitors. Thank you for not being disgusted with us. Thank you for everything. And I pray that you would know by the way that I live my life, by the way that we live our lives, that we love you. I know that there are some of you that are maybe here today or maybe listening online and you haven't started a relationship with Jesus and you may not know how. And if that's the case, I'm gonna offer a simple sample prayer and you can say it to yourself or you can just listen through the whole thing and at the end of it say, that's, that's, that's me, that, that's my heart. And here's the prayer. Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I know I am a mistake maker. I'm a sinner. There's a lot of reasons why you could ask me why or if 
I love you, but I do. And I don't know what all that means, and I don't know what it's going to require of me to be your follower, but I know that I won't be able to make it without you. So will you please, will you please help me? And if that's your prayer, then maybe you're experiencing right now what it's like to have the Spirit of Christ fill your soul and help you to know how much he loves you. It's the greatest experience on earth. Father, again, I am so thankful for what it is that you've done. And I ask that you would listen to our hearts as we sing this song to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you stand and sing with me? We've got plenty of time. It was a short sermon on purpose. We're going to sing this song, and I invite you to make the words your prayer. And then afterwards, I'll come back up and close this. Thanks, James. And thank you. Thanks again for choosing church or watching online. Today, if you made that prayer your own, welcome to the family. And we want to help you get started in what can be a, a really amazing journey for you. By giving you something in these bags, there's some stuff in here to get you started, and there's a way for you to reach back out to us and let us know that you've made this decision. They're by each door, so make sure you grab one of those on your way out. Also, if you'd like to take communion, it's available at both sides of the room and at the back today. And if you'd like prayer, instead of making your way out, make your way forward. Myself and some others will be down here, and we'd be happy to pray with you guys. Please come back next week. Kurt Bubna, our senior pastor, is back from Africa. He's got a whole ton of things that he is excited to share with all of us about what God is doing, not just here at East Point, but what he's doing through East Point and throughout the world. And so you don't want to miss it. God bless you guys. Hope you have an amazing day and let people know how much you love Jesus by the way you care for them. We'll see you next week. <laughs>